Welcome to Immigrants' Journeys. Imagine leaving your home country to settle in a foreign land. What would that feel like? How might that experience change you? The guests on this show share their perspectives and opinions related to their immigrant journeys. Listen to find out what challenges they overcame and how they made the transition. In this episode, Anuja leaves Sri Lanka at the age of 20 to escape civil unrest. She recounts how her family narrowly escaped having their house burnt down. Many years later, Anuja talks about how living in the U.S. has allowed her to meet people from all over the world. Her view of being an immigrant is one of embracing the country in which you currently live. She feels that being an immigrant is a privileged position since one has the opportunity to appreciate both cultures. Similar to other episodes, we get into food, music, and what it was like for Anuja growing up in her home country. For the intro music, I wanted to go with something a little bit more traditional. I left the more pop music for the outro. The excerpt for the intro music is from Classical Fusion of A.R. Rahman. The artists are Nithya Shri, Vavramuthu, and A.R. Rahman, Aditya Music India, and Sony Music Publishing. I put a link in the show notes for you. I hope you enjoy it. Visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm for more information about this show. Anuja, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And so you are from Sri Lanka, is that right? Yeah. And what is a typical greeting and what is the, the native language? There are two languages and along with that English as well. So we have three in Sri Lanka. There's Sinhalese, Tamil, are there two other ones. So, greeting-wise, in Sinhalese, you would say, Ayubowan, and in Tamil, it's Wanakam, but people also say hello and hi as well. Sinhalese is the national language, so in forms and road signs, you would see, usually you would see all three. Are the two languages similar, or are they completely different? They are completely different. They have their own alphabet, and yeah, they don't sound anything like the other. Interesting. And do they have any kind of similarity with languages in India? Yes. So Tamil is Sanskrit-based, and it's also spoken in parts of India, Malaysia, Singapore, and wherever, Sri Lankans and Sri Lankan descendants and Indian descendants are present. And Sinhalese, I think it's also Sanskrit-based, but I don't know why it has no resemblance to Tamil. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in Sri Lanka? Sure. Sri Lanka is very different now from the time when I lived in Sri Lanka and grew up in Sri Lanka because of the internet 
things are very different. But when I grew up, my parents, my dad is now retired. He's a dentist and my mom was a doctor, but worked in public health. And they both worked for the government health system, which is the main type of healthcare. The hospital generally are run by the government. Now there are some private hospitals, but mostly in the capital city and surrounding areas, but not in all of Sri Lanka. So anyway, the government moves the doctors every five years. And when you start off, after you're done with medical college and you start off working, you are generally sent to rural areas. So as you become more senior, then you get to have a little bit more say in where you want to go and you can get closer to the capital or be in the capital. So we were mostly in rural areas and we moved every five to seven years. So I, my experience is different based on each region we were in. My earliest memories are from when I was about four. We lived in a coastal region close to where the airport is in Sri Lanka. The town we lived in was called Chilau. It was very nice experience growing up there, just very relaxed. And then from there, we lived for a short time with my grandparents while my mom went to England. The government selected her and some other doctors to go on this certification program. And so she was in England for a year. And during that time, we lived with my grandma. And then when she came back, we moved to another town in the hill country of Sri Lanka. So Sri Lanka is mostly flat, but in the southern middle portion is where the hill country is. And so we lived there in a town called Kegal, which is the English pronunciation or anglicized <laughs> name of the city in Sinhalese is Kagal. In that area, the a majority of the people living there were Sinhalese. The schools are either Sinhalese or Tamil schools at the time. It's still like that, but now in those schools, they offer English medium as well. But at the time, that was not the case when I was growing up. So the only Tamil school was this tiny, I was talking about this with my husband the other day, that it was this tiny school. There was one big building with one side building. It was on a hill with no road, no paved road. And it was actually behind or kind of above a Sinhalese boys' school. I think it was St. Mary's Boys' School, which was in Sinhalese medium. So if you were Tamil, this was the only option other than going to a boarding school in another town, which was about an hour away if you wanted to go to a, a full Tamil medium big school. To get to the school, you could go through the boys' school and then walk, or you had to go through this main road that came up on the side of a hill. And there were steps cut into the hill and you walked up those steps and there was this small ravine, I still remember, which just had a wooden plank 
that he had to cross and only one person could go across at one time. And then he went up another hill. So when it rained, water would just gush down that hill. So it was a bit tricky and it would get all muddy. But generally roads are paved. There are country roads that aren't paved, but in general, most roads are paved. And, and now if you go back, you see highways and stuff too. But when I was growing up, there were no highways. Something Anuja mentioned reminded me of the conversation with Bridget from South Africa. It's neat to hear cultural similarities from distant parts of the world. In Sri Lanka, if somebody's older than you and your parents' age group, you'd call them uncle, no matter whether they're related to you or not. About how old were you when you left Sri Lanka? When I left Sri Lanka, I was 20, and I'm 52 now, so I've lived in the U.S. for 32 years. What prompted that move? In 1983, there were civil riots in Sri Lanka. There's There's always been an ethnic conflict. There was a Tamil terrorist group that started in the north part of Sri Lanka against the government and wanting a separate state. And it was kind of coming up around this time, and and then it kind of blew up after we had the civil riots in 1983. We had just moved to Colombo at the time, so we were not on the voting registry. Because the languages are different, you can tell from a name whether somebody is Sinhalese or Tamil. Those who were part of the civil riot went through the voting registry and found which houses were Tamil and then either burnt them or destroyed the houses, looted. But because we were new, we had just moved, we were not on the registry. So they didn't come to our house. They went by our house to one of the Tamil homes that was down the street from us. We had to hide and pretend like nobody was home. But we could hear them running down the street and yelling. There's a lot more to the riots that I could talk about. But to answer your question, because of that, after that, there was constant unrest. And then once the terrorist group took off, they would do attacks. Then the army would retaliate. Then it it would just, most of the fighting was in the northern part. But where we lived, which was at the time in Colombo, suddenly the schools would close or the universities would shut down because the students would protest or something like that. So when I finished high school, so we follow system similar to the British system where you do advanced level exams where you specialize in four subjects for two and a half years and you take an island-wide exam and the scores on the exam determine which degree you will do and at which university you will do it. So by the time I got out, the university was backed up several years. So to start my degree, I would have to wait three, four years. That's when my parents decided they would try to see if they could get me out of the country. After years of living in fear with random school closures, Anuja embarks on a journey halfway across the world by herself at the age of 20. 
At least she had some company on the first leg of her journey. On the same flight was a gentleman whom she'd met a year prior at church, who later became her husband. I had never been out of the country ever before. He was also coming to the U.S. And so my mom, because she was afraid that I would be on my own, booked the same flight so that at least I'd have one person that I knew. He went to university in Pennsylvania, and I went to university in Ohio. At least part of the way, we were on the same flight. (laughs) Anuja arrives in the United States in 1991 at the age of 20. I was curious how she made that transition. What did she lean on to support her during this next phase of her life? I have always been very adventurous, maybe to some extent. Not adventurous enough to ride a roller coaster. But But you were the one that always took the path up the carved steps uh, across the ravine, right? I did, yeah. (laughs) And I'm the oldest of three. And also, I think because we had moved so much, I, I liked moving. So that was part of it. I had always wanted to come to the United States. I liked the the freedom aspect and the the what the country stands for. So that was exciting for me. Anusha shares some examples of culture shock. Coming here to the US, culture shock was definitely huge. One of my favorite stories is the the vastness of the country where you can keep driving and driving and you're still in the same city or even the same state. When we have visitors come from Europe, I tell them, you have to stay long enough so we can drive you somewhere so that you just get an idea of how vast the country is. The other funnier one would be to go to a store and then try to buy, well, my husband's favorite is shampoo, but even toothpaste. You go to the store and you stand in front and they're like, all of this is toothpaste. How do you, how do you chew toothpaste? There's like a whole aisle of toothpaste. That's a huge culture shock. The other one also is in Sri Lanka. It's a small country, so it's a little bit bigger than West Virginia. And we have public transport. We have buses, trains, little taxis called tuk-tuk. So you can get around very easily. But in where I was living in Ohio, I needed a car, and I didn't have one and couldn't really afford one. So not being able to get about was tough. How did you or your parents decide on the United States versus a different country? You know, you mentioned the British education system. Right. Why not England? Why not any any other country? The reason is easy. It's the finances. The universities in the U.S. provide financial aid. We have a, a place called the American Center, which is run by the U.S. Embassy, and in those days with no internet, they have the big guide to universities, big books, which have a little summary on the 
the university and the type of degrees, then we always go and look for the line that's as financially available for international students. And based on those, you pick, and some of them are on the common application system, so then you just fill out one application and you could send it to multiple. I couldn't afford some of the application fees, so I also looked for one that waived that application fee for international students. People had been going to the U.S. for education for some time. So a lot of the Ivy League schools were popular. So everybody knew about those. And then there were other ones that people would talk about and recommend. So then you knew some that you could already apply to. But that was the main reason because the universities in England don't usually provide financial aid. And I think there are some universities in Australia that do, but most don't. So the United States was the one at the time that provided the most financial aid. As a student, did you find any particular challenges being a foreign student versus just an American student? No. The university I went to, it's called Denison University, and I love my whole experience there. And we had a pretty strong international student population at the time. And amazingly enough, there was already one Sri Lankan student at the university, and then another one joined at the same time with me. And then two more came after me while I was there. So that was neat because you would never think that small liberal arts college in Ohio would have Sri Lankan students, but they had an excellent international student recruiting person at the time. She was wonderful. And a lot of international students chose Denison over other universities because of her, because she was fabulous. Anuja arrived in the United States already fluent in English. English is taught as a second language, regardless of whether you're in Tamil medium school or a Sinhalese medium school, and you learn English from preschool, kindergarten on. And they used to introduce the third language. So for me, for instance, since I'm Tamil, that's my mother tongue. So my second language is English. And then Sinhalese is taught at some point in the school career depending on the school. So some start early, some start in grade six. I, because that tiny little school I went to, the principal, he was new at the time when I joined. He, he was very passionate. Most of the students that attended the school were kids of tea estate or rubber estate workers. The parents were generally unschooled or just had a short school career, but he was passionate about helping those students get through. It was kindergarten through grade 10 school, but he really wanted them to get through, finish 10th grade and do the, the O-level or ordinary level exam, which is another island-wide exam, and then move on to a bigger school to get their A-level and hopefully university or or a vocational school, he was very passionate about not letting them drop off. 
So there were two ladies who were Sinhalese and they taught Sinhalese. So we, I actually started learning Sinhalese in grade, which is very unusual because most schools tend to start the third language at grade six. So I learned with, English all the way. Anuja describes the benefit of learning another language from an early age. So because I learned Sinhalese, so it's just like, you know, any language you have when you, when it, I guess, not even native tongue, you tend to have an accent. So generally people who are Tamil and they speak Sinhalese, you can tell that they're Tamil by the way they pronounce the Sinhalese word. But I, I don't know if it was because I was so much younger when I learned it and I learned it from two Sinhalese teachers, I didn't have the Tamil accent. So oftentimes when I would talk in Sinhalese to Sinhalese friends or people, they thought I was Sinhalese if they didn't know my last name because my name could go either way, could be Sinhalese or sometimes first names you can tell as well, but not always. But the last name is the, always the giveaway. And I could write and read as well. So I could pass as a Sinhalese person. And my parents, so if you're in the medical field, you have to know Sinhalese and you have to take an exam to show that you're proficient in it. So my both my parents speak fluent Sinhalese. My dad, you can tell that he has a bit of the Tamil accent, but my mom doesn't. People often thought she was Sinhalese as well. You definitely have a gift for languages. With respect to accent, what about in the U.S.? Did you feel that anybody, you know, picked up on an accent? I, I mean, I I feel like you don't really have an accent, but what's been your experience? I have this strange thing, and my friend, he's very good with languages. And when I was explaining to him what this thing I'm going to just tell you, he said it's probably because I'm good at languages. So I don't know. So what happens to me is if I talk to someone long enough, I will start adopting whatever their accent is. The first time I noticed this was when I was in transit in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur Airport. The travel agent made an error or something and he didn't book an overnight hotel. So I had to be at the airport. And this other woman was also stuck at the airport, so we was chatting because we had to be there the whole night. I think she was Malaysian, but living in Australia. So she had an Australian accent. And I noticed after talking to her for quite a while that I was starting to say things the same way. So what has happened to me after living here is that when I talk to someone who is American or has an American accent, that I talk the same way, but I can turn it off and then if I talk to someone from Sri Lanka, I can talk with the Sri Lankan English accent. And also Sri Lankans often talk in all three languages or two languages, all in the same conversation. I had a roommate, this my first year of college, and she would listen to me on the phone and she'd be doing her homework and she'd go, that I understood, that I didn't, that I understood, that I didn't. People have told me sometimes that I have a slight British accent. And when I first came, I would say all the British words for things like lift 
instead of elevator or cooker instead of stove, things like that, which we say in Sri Lanka. One word that I still don't know, I go back and forth is schedule versus schedule. And I still say can't instead of can. I could totally relate to what Anuja was talking about. Listening to myself during the post-production process of these episodes, I would find myself mimicking speech patterns. I wonder if people who do this have an easier time picking up languages. For context, I wanted to better understand what was typically expected of someone like Anuja who grew up in Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, part of the culture is you don't move out of your parents' home when you turn 18. You live there until you get married. That's the case whether you're a man or a woman. It's totally normal for you to live with your parents until you get married. Marriages can be arranged or they could be what we call love marriage in Sri Lanka. And growing up, like usually around I think eighth grade, the conversation starts like, are you for love marriage or are you for arranged marriage? Which would you like? And as you go through school, you decide your opinions may change. I did have some friends whose parents had told them that was love marriage was not an option, that their marriage would be arranged. Then there were others that said, either if you find someone, then fine. But if you don't, then I will arrange your marriage for you. For me, my parents, they said, for me, they were like, you can find your own, own person. And I had already expressed that I did not want an arranged marriage. And my sister's marriage was arranged by her request. And my brother's was not. So we had a mix. Anuja kept in touch with that friend from church who accompanied her on her exodus from Sri Lanka when she was 20 to the United States. They started dating long distance through letters and phone calls and maybe saw each other about once a year. Eventually, they married. We had struggled with infertility for a long time. And we lost one baby in 2005 and then went down the line to look into adoption. And that didn't work out, but God surprised us with a little girl in 2014. The other day I was talking to your husband and he mentioned the the adoption story. What I thought yeah. was ironic was that before you went through the citizenship process, you know, you guys were looking to adopt a child from Sri Lanka and you were kind of at the top of the list. And as soon as you got your citizenship, <laughs> you got all the way down in the bottom. Yeah. That, How ironic. I know that that was very hard because if you are a Sri Lankan citizen, then you have high priority in Sri Lanka, which is understandable. They want to make sure that the children go to someone who is Sri Lankan by citizenship. But the U.S. laws for permanent residents adopting from the country they're from are were at least then very complicated. You had to live in the child's country of birth for, I think it was two years. And that was just not feasible because, I mean, now I think it could be done because so many companies allow remote work and things like that. But at the time, there was no such thing. So that was not possible. So 
to adopt, it's much better if you are a U.S. citizen. But then we went down on the list in Sri Lanka. And you also needed someone in Sri Lanka to be an advocate for you at the orphanages to kind of keep reminding them like, oh, they're waiting, they're still waiting. And, and we didn't really have someone who could constantly go and do that. With your daughter, do you speak English at home or do you try to bring some of your culture in? Are we, I was speaking to her, I still do, in Tamil. So she understands Tamil, but she answers in English, which I've heard that it's common. The, the other funny thing is when my mom or dad call or other relatives call, they tend to talk to her in English, and I keep telling them, well, talk to her in Tamil so that she'll get to hear it more. Uh, but they don't, they just automatically switch the English. Yeah, it's the same thing with my kids. I do speak Spanish to them, and they understand. They answer me in English. And it's similar. When my family calls, they speak in English. And I tell them, it's like, why don't you speak to them in Spanish so that they <laughs> Also get to know that it's not just their crazy dad who has this weird language. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that speak this language and that it's going to help them if they understand it. Mm -hmm. What do you do now? Are you a homemaker? Do you have a profession? So from childhood, I wanted to be a teacher. And I was one for five years. Yeah, five years. I taught. My passion was for high school students, so I taught biology, anatomy, and physiology, and the biology-earth science combination for high school students. I was certified to teach 7 through 12, so I also taught middle school, but I'm not a middle school teacher. I'm not gifted <laughs> with middle school. I love middle school kids, but I'm not good at teaching them. I was much better at the high school students. My last school that I taught in was for students with significant behavior challenges. It was a private school that took in kids from surrounding school that needed more focused attention. So I had five boys that I taught. So I took a break from teaching, thinking I would do something else, do my master's and then get back into it. But that never happened. I switched into editing and worked for McGraw Hill on textbooks and then went to the American Chemical Society, which is where I was for quite a long time, editing journal research papers. In 2017, I left my editing job and work freelance and have been working in freelance editing. Food is also typically a key aspect of culture. I asked Anuja to talk a little bit about food from Sri Lanka. Food is one of my favorite topics. I like to cook and I like to cook all kinds of things. So Sri Lankan food is, often people think that Sri Lankan food is like Indian food. And it is and it isn't. It probably more like a Kerala region 
from India. Sri Lanka was ruled by the Portuguese, Dutch, and British. So we have all three influences in our food and language, especially Sinhalese has lots of words that are Portuguese. And then we have a few Dutch words as well. To someone who's not from the Asian region, I would say that Sri Lankan food is a bit like Indian food and a bit like Thai because we do use coconut milk as our base for a lot of the sauces. We do eat a lot of rice. So we say curries, and that means dish, not necessarily a dish that has curry powder. So if, like people say, would you like a rice and curry meal? And what they mean is rice with a bunch of side dishes, and those are what they call curry. So a curry can be a spicy curry or a not spicy at all curry. People eat fish a lot and chicken and everything, beef. Goat meat is also popular in Sri Lanka, especially with Hindus who don't eat beef. They, a lot of them might eat goat instead. What are some of your favorite dishes that you, that you miss that either your mom made or you would get oh, on a special occasion? I make a lot of those and I'm able to because there are Sri Lankan stores here now. But they taste different in Sri Lanka because I don't know if it's the water or the freshness of the ingredients. So I miss the taste. So we have lots of bakeries in Sri Lanka. And I think this must be from Portuguese culture. We have lots of pastries, but they're not sweet pastries. They're savory. They have vegetables filling or meat filling, fish filling, and that's the fast food. So if you wanted a snack, you just pop into the bakery and eat the pastries. Generally, most bakeries will carry a few sweet things like eclairs or cakes and maybe small pieces of cake, but the rest is all these savory pastries. So that I miss a lot. But here, the empanadas come close. I love empanadas because we have empanadas in Sri Lanka. We don't call them empanadas, but we call them patty. And they're the same shape, but they're not filled with cheese. So that was a surprise for me when I first encountered empanadas here in the States. And I thought, oh, this is just like patties. But then they were filled with cheese. And I said, oh, no. I don't want the cheese, I want the other filling. So I thought it was interesting to hear Nujo talk about savory empanadas or patties in Sri Lanka and Karin, in a different episode, talk about them in Argentina. Tracing this food back to the Iberian Peninsula was fascinating. Yet another example of how immigration shapes our everyday lives. What other Sri Lankan food was inspired by immigrants? We also have something, we call them Chinese rolls. The only thing I can think of as to why we call them Chinese rolls is that the concept is like an egg roll. That's the only thing I can think of. But what it, it is a very thin crepe filled with usually a ground meat and potato filling 
or a vegetable and potato filling or fish and potato filling. And it's rolled up and dipped in an egg wash and breadcrumbs and then fried. So I think that's why they're called Chinese rolls. Those I miss. And that's another one you'd find at a bakery. We have meat pies, which are again puffed pastry. The filling is pretty much the same across the board for all these things. Switching topics, I asked Anuja to talk about music from Sri Lanka. Depending on the ethnic group, the music is different. Tamil music, the pop, I guess, is from Indian Tamil movies. Tamil movies, are, I guess the comparison would be a musical, but they are generally very long, two to three hours, with lots of songs thrown in and high drama. The soundtrack, as it were, is, is the popular Tamil music. But then there's, they call it, I think it's called like Eastern Tamil music, which is classical type Tamil music, which is very different from the more pop style of the movie. The Sinhalese music, there's the classical, just like the Tamil has its classical one, which is very different. But the happy kind of music comes from our Portuguese heritage, and it's what we call baila. And it's very folksy kind of, but it's very upbeat, lots of instruments, accordion, guitar, synthesizer, like everything. And some some have a banjo and a more acoustic sound as well. And it's dance kind of music. If you go to a party, often there'll be some form of baila music. And the English pop songs are also all very popular. We have radio stations in all three languages. And then once we got TV, the programming is also in all three languages. A question I like to ask the guests on this show is if you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell her and at what age? Oh, about anything? Yeah, it could be advice, something that you've learned, a belief that you had that you later found out was not true, or just anything that you think would have improved your life had you known that. Oh, I think I would say not to worry too much. That I think as the oldest child, I tend to carry a lot of the weight of things and tend to worry a lot. And I think I would have told my 20-year-old self that came to the United States that I should have just enjoyed things and not worried too much. And maybe spent some money on a 99-cents McDonald's (laughs) and not worried about that 99-cents. Live in the moment. Yeah. That's so To funny. an extent. What else is coming to mind as we talk about, you know, culture, your transition from one country and culture to another, and even just after being here for so many years and having 
adopted and kind of integrated all of this, you know, what else is coming to mind that you'd like to share? I, I'm someone who's very passionate about if you move to a country, then you have to love the country you're living in and enjoy the, the good things and not complain. I often find immigrants who complain about the country that uh, they're living in and compare it to the country they're from and elevate the country they're from and put down the country they're in. And I feel very sad about that because each country has its good and its bad. And I think as an immigrant, you are in the, I would say, privileged spot to be able to appreciate and see both. I also forget that I'm from Sri Lanka in the sense that I'm different until somebody else points it out. And the reverse is true as well. So, for example, when I talk about friends to someone from Sri Lanka, they'll ask me, is, is he or she American? And that's when I think, where are they from? Because for me, it's a person. I don't think, oh, this one is this and that one is from here. This one is from there. To me, they're my friend. It doesn't really matter to me where they're from. Apart from knowing that that's part of who they are. So I, I enjoy the cultural differences. I love accents. So I always love to hear accents and like to figure out if I can guess where it's from, whether it's a regional one in the U.S. or from other countries. And I like to pick up words from other languages and collect those, I guess. And I, and I love food. I like to talk about foods from other cultures. One funny story, well, what other people have found interesting, I guess, about me is that I can carry on a conversation with someone whose language I don't speak and they don't speak English and we can carry on a conversation and have a good conversation where the person I'm speaking to does not speak my language, I don't speak their language, and I speak English, but they don't. So an example of this would be when we lived in Virginia, we lived in a townhome and the decks are like, you can jump over the decks into your neighbor's deck and you can certainly just hand stuff over. I mean, you could touch the person, so it's very close. And so one of our neighbors on one side, it was a rental property, so it had revolving neighbors. The, the first neighbor, the wife was Russian and her mom lived with them. And she spoke a, a small amount of English, but mostly Russian. She and I would have a conversation with a few English words thrown in, and then she would do hand motions and describe what she was saying. And then she'll go, you know, and tell her daughter that she chatted and had a great chat with me. Then we had Albanian neighbors whose mom didn't speak any English at all. And so she would talk to me in Albanian. One time 
she was making something and I could smell the dish and it smelled so good. So I asked her about it. I said, oh, I'm cooking. What is it? And stuff. And then she described it to me in Albania. And then she'd gone and told her daughter that she had a great chat. So when she saw me the next time, she said, my mom said that she chatted with you. And I was thinking, how is this even possible? Because she doesn't speak any English. My mother, she was really good at it too. She, well, I still don't know how much English she really knew because she always told me that she doesn't speak English and then I turn around and she's having a conversation with one of my friends. But the same thing, like she would be in a room with someone from Russia or Albania or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there, I'm watching them interact. And at an early age, that really made an impression on me because I feel that communication and language, it's not just about what comes out of your mouth or your ears. And it's not even your hand gestures. It's, it's everything. And I almost feel like, you know, language comes from up here, right? From, from your brain. Right. And it's, it's what you're trying to communicate up here. And it's got to get into your brain somehow. And whether that's through the spoken word, through hand gestures, or just even facial expressions, there's so many ways to communicate. So I'm really delighted to to hear you bring that up. Yeah, it was, we used to joke that at the bus stop for a school bus stop, it was like United Nations when we lived in Virginia. One time I counted like how many countries were represented. So I was originally from Sri Lanka, they're Indian, Pakistani, Scotland, Kazakhstan, Albania, China, Korea, and the, and different parts of the United States. And I'm sure I'm missing some others, but those were represented in one small bus. How does Anusha communicate so easily with people from all over the world? I've had people say to me, well, oh, it's easy for you because you came at such a young age. Oh, that's not true. I think you can come at any age and still all it takes is to look at a person and think, oh, that's another person. I just start talking. And if I can have conversations with someone who doesn't speak any English or any Tamil or Sinhalese, and I don't speak what they speak. I think you get, like you said, like just a, a relationship can be formed by just exchanging a dish of food, and which we have done. And then it just can grow from there and you can show like, oh, what was in there? And then you can bring the spice out and they can smell it and say, ah, oh, I know what this is. I really liked listening to Anuja talk about the many different ethnicities at the bus stop just living together as neighbors. I could only imagine how she compared this to the civil unrest that she witnessed as a teenager between just two ethnic groups in Sri Lanka. With increased exposure to different nationalities, I can only hope that people can see that we are much more alike than different. Well, Anuja, I really appreciate the time and this conversation. I enjoyed it. It's it's. Fun to think about some of the experiences that I've had. I don't always think about it, but this is fun to come on and talk and chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. So what's a, a way of, of parting 
in how do you say like goodbye or see you later? You just say bye. <laughs> That's kind of anticlimactic. Um, bye. Right. Although in Tamil, you would you could say so. You say poitwara, which means I'm gonna go, but I'm coming back. Is what it translates to. You can also say poran, which means I'm leaving, but that would be considered rude or, well, that's not nice. So you always say poituvaran, which means I'm, I'm going and coming back, is what it translates to directly. It's poituvaran. Poituvaran. Yes, very good. Yeah. I like that that idea. It's like, I'm going, but I'm right. coming back. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. This has been awesome. Well, thanks again. That was fun. Thanks. That was fun. <laughs> the intersection of nationalities at the bus stop that Ayuna describes is a reflection of the world we live in. Sure, there are regions where the population is homogenous. However, when we travel, we are bound to interact with people with different cultural references. In some areas, globalization might actually reach out to us. I'm delighted to hear Anuja talk about how she embraces the country in which she lives in now and how immigrants are in a privileged spot because they are able to experience and appreciate both cultures. Travel also provides similar opportunities, as Martin in a different episode discusses. No matter where we go, we become a thread in the fabric of society and the culture that we visit or that we're living in. My hope with this show is that people will realize that we are in the constant state of transformation. When we first arrive in a country or a region, whether as a traveler or as an immigrant, we first tend to think of ourselves as different. We might start off thinking ourselves as the foreigner until we realize just like everyone else. Everyone's journey is different and I encourage everyone to share their story and maybe even a favorite dish with someone who's never had it before. For the outro music, Anuja provided some options and I picked an excerpt from Yeye Katrina, Shinhala version by Desmond De Silva and Indrani Pereira. It's a song that Anuja and her sister sung often as kids. I added a link in the transcript. The combination of instruments, even the multi-language lyrics, highlight the melting pot of a genre that is baila. I hope you enjoy it. To learn more about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Naughty 